Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Schulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 2, Episode 22, Season Finale, All Hell Breaks Loose Part 2. Let's get this show on the road. Can you believe that we are already recording our episode for the season finale of season two? Season one just took forever and season two <laughs> was like three episodes. It's weird, eh? Like, and I feel like especially like the, the second half of season two went by so quickly. It just, it just flew by. Here we are at the end of season two. I guess I now have to compete with the show because I have to give my version of a recap compared to the show's version of a recap, finally. Okay, do you want to go? I have my timer ready here. Three, two, one, go. Open on the corpse of Sam. Who knows how long it's actually been? It feels like it may have been a day, even two at this point. Dean is just like an emotional mess and all Bobby wants to do is try to be there for him like a true father. Dean does the obvious thing, makes a deal with a demon at a crossroads, giving up his life minus one year on Earth to be with Sam, to revive Sam. We then uh, find out Ellen is okay, which is great. We still have no confirmation on Joe, but confirms that Ash is dead. We then figure out that there's apparently this one spot in the middle of Wyoming that is like uh, no demon can get into, and it looks like Sam, the guy who made the cult, is his name Samuel? Anyways, the guy who made the cult uh, made this place to, like, keep everything out or keep something in. Dun, 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 dun. There's just a lot of emotional moments with Bobby getting mad at Dean because Dean's an idiot for doing what he did to save Sam. But they go to the cemetery, and Jake's there, and Jake decides to side with the demon and opens the gates and nearly kills Ellen, and then they kill him, or at least Sam kills him, and oh my god, is that a very brutal murder? And they fight Yellow Eyes as the, they're try, as Bobby and Ellen are closing the gates to hell, and then John's spirit shows up because, of course, no Winchester can friggin' stay dead, helps them kill Yellow Eye Demon, and they finally kill him, and the end of that original saga is done. John goes away. And time. With zero seconds remaining. I think that this was the perfect recap. Thank you. Although there is a lot to go over in a lot more detail. This is a... That is a very surface level recap. I feel like nothing like important got spilt in that recap. We have a very heavy story time coming up. So why don't we go through the long game, which is also a bit longer than usual. So let's go into the long, long game. How about that? Let's go. This is actually the first time that we hear Carry On Wayward Son in a season finale. And yes, to answer your question, I cried. Oh, I legit was like sitting there on the couch with a bowl of ice cream and was like, in my little corner of the couch with a blanket on me, like, yes, like air punching and like, yes, it's our namesake. <laughs> but very happy to see it. I know how iconic it is to the series. I mean, hell, it's the namesake of the show. It's been so associated with the show, even to myself, who wasn't like a watcher up until now. And hey, a good little seasonal recap. Never a bad thing. This was the first time that I saw it in a season finale since the series finale. <laughs> Moving on, though. We hear Yellow Eyes use the phrase good little soldier when he's talking about Jake. And uh, next season, we'll be hearing that phrase again about one of the brothers. Who do you think it's going to be? I feel that it should be about Sam, but you just made me question this, which is now making me question many things. Okay, let's continue. 
So Dean makes the deal, right? We've ta- you've talked about that. And the next season, season three is going to revolve around that. And in a way, when you like, when I stop to think about it, when I was watching this episode, it feels like everything that happens onward is literally a direct consequence of that moment. If you were to ask me now, like now that we've seen the demise of Yellow Eyes, what is season three going to be? I really, my pitch is going to be the two of them continue their adventure. This time, their ultimate goal being find a way to get Dean out of the deal. I mean, it makes sense narratively, right? That that would be what season three would be about. So we'll see. So Ellen isn't dead, as you mentioned, which yay. We also get to hear a little bit more about Samuel Colt and the Colt is back. The gun, they got the gun back. I was very worried to see about that. And I, I now need to go back and do some math and see how many bullets we should have left. I think there's one left. Actually, that's not something that I calculated right away. But uh, but yeah, definitely a little bit of math to do. I'm not mistaken. The last time we saw it, there were two bullets left. And unless it's been used since being given to Yellow Eyes, there should now be one bullet remaining. We also see Sam's first human kill. Let's wait till story time to talk about that more. But yeah. And arguably, this is the first human kill, period. Because, you know, while they killed demons who are also humans, this was the first time that they killed a human who was, quote unquote, just a human and not possessed by a demon or also a werewolf or something like that. So this is the first human kill. Jake is the first human kill. And that's the worst thing, too, is like, I know that we've talked about how bad vengeance is, but I'm sitting here being like, yes, vengeance. (laughs) I think that's a very human response. You can't really blame yourself for that. And John literally crawls out of hell. So I'm just going to leave that out there. Which is the way Dean puts it. Like, if anyone could, it would be him. So that's for the long game. Are we ready to jump into story time? Because we've got we've got some work to do. (laughs) All right. So we pick up just after part one left off. You know, like you said, Sam is dead and we're not too sure how long it's been. Right. I would I would say that Dean is like coping, but that's just inaccurate. Like he's actually in complete denial. Right. Like he refuses food. Like you said, like, I'm not too sure how long it's been that Sam has been dead. Like, has it been a day, two days, like 12 hours? Like, definitely there's a time. So when he, when Jake actually killed him, it was nighttime. And then in that moment, it's like morning. So it's at least been a few hours. I would, I, I thought it had been at least like 12 hours. What about, what did you think? I got to say, this has got to be at least day two, because I feel like within the first 24 hours, Bobby wouldn't be so worried about Dean not having eaten yet. But the like coming home with food being like, you need to eat. That, that has been like, hey, you've had your day of grief. It's a new day. You need to start eating something. You can't just keep drinking because it's clearly all you've been doing. Dean, like he's making it clear to Bobby that he's contemplating suicide at this point, right? Let it end. I'm done with all of it. Get out and leave me. You know, like it's 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 a hard watch, right? You can see I mean, this entire episode, I think, just is so fraught with Bobby trying to be a good parent in both the actions he does take and the actions he doesn't, because I feel like a good parent would not leave their child in such a moment at such a time. But Bobby also has to draw the line of I'm not their parent. I can't do that to them. I can't instill myself. I can try my best to fill that role, but they know I'm not. And I know I'm not. So it's even harder. I feel like every moment between Bobby and Dean this episode is like the most distilled attempt at parenting. And it is beautiful and sad all at once. 
I don't think Dean knows what it feels like to be parented. Which I think is part of what makes it so hard for Bobby is he he understands that, like, this isn't me filling a parental role. This is me trying to create something new. He's not filling anyone's shoes because John, I don't think, was ever, like, didn't ever really show him that kind of, like, love and kindness and understanding that Bobby is, is showing him. When Bobby is trying to do that with Dean, Dean just doesn't know how to receive it because he's never been faced with that before. And he tells him, you know, like, he's not mad at him. He tells him, like, you know where to find me kind of thing. He's like, okay, you know what? Like, I understand what's happening with you. Like, I'm not angry at you. I still love you. You know, like, even if I don't like you, I still love you kind of thing. And I think that that's really powerful. It's unconditional love, right? Again, this is just, it's parenting 101. Bobby is the best dad. Where Where is my Bobby is best dad shirt? Oh, <laughs> merch idea. Put it on the list. So when Dean is talking to Sam's corpse, like about their childhood, he mentions something about Sam asking questions at age five. And one of those questions was like, where did dad go? Because to quote Dean, John would take off for days at a time. Now, if we're doing some quick math, if Sam is five, that makes Dean what? Nine. Nine? Nine. Nine. So just a PSA for John Winchester specifically, you cannot leave a nine-year-old in charge of a five-year-old in a motel room. That is just not appropriate. Like, I think we have beaten the, beaten the horse that is John as a poor parent. I don't think we need to rehash it every single time. I think we should just have like... But he just keeps doing it! I know! <laughs> No, but I agree with you. Like, let's not make this repetitive. But at the same time, like, this is, again, new information. Yeah, no, like asking, like, I think what does he also say? I think Sam asks, like, why don't we have a mom? As a parent, how do you answer that question? And as a nine year old, how do you answer that question? And, you know, and, you know, Sam wasn't asking John these questions. He was asking Dean these questions. Okay, well, you're segueing very nicely into my next thought, which is that Dean is also talking about how keeping Sam safe was always his responsibility, and it should not have been. I think, again, we, all, we can all agree on that. It should have been John's responsibility to keep them both safe. It's icing on a poop cake. Poop icing on a poop cake. And he's also talking about how his one job was to keep Sam safe, right? And even as an adult. And... I was having a conversation on our, our Patreon-only Discord. Something emerged in that conversation. This is truly when Dean's mental health on the show starts deteriorating. And I mean, like, he's, he's basically thinking that he has failed at the one thing that he was meant to do on this earth, which was to protect his brother. I want to unpack that a little bit with you. He should never have had to be responsible for Sam's health and well-being as a child. Like, we know that. We've talked about this. But then, even as an adult, he's not responsible for his sibling. Sure, Sam is young, but he's a grown man, and he's been well-trained, and he can take care of himself. So again, not Dean's responsibility. No, I think this falls into two things. I think first is the... This lingering feeling of having to play the parental role to Sam even in this moment, Uh, not to jump too far ahead, but I think a great example of this is the fact that as soon as Sam does come to from being dead, not only does Dean like excited to see him, obviously, and happy to have his brother back, but 
they can eat. Not he can eat, they can eat. He has now brought Sam back to the status quo. Things are back to normal. He can begin taking care of himself, even if it is just, I can put food in both our mouths. Oh, that brings me back to that thread about Dean having to feed Sam before he feeding himself. Yeah, I think this is an ex- a perfect example of that. And then I think the other thing, too, is, uh, and again, I'll jumping too far ahead because Sam makes a great comment towards literally the end of the episode regarding this. There is a very fine line between, like, taking care of somebody and being supportive and protecting somebody and, like, the universe actively fighting you. I, I just I, I literally in that moment wanted to sit Dean down and be like, walk me through the events that occurred and what you could have done differently. Your brother is magically whisked away by demons. You, you just had your anti demon whisking away powder in your pocket you could have used but didn't like, no, 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 that was out of your control. You got to him as soon as you could, but he was in a room full of demons and murderers. There is at no point any of this your fault. You are blaming yourself for something you physically could not have stopped. Drew, you are like right on the money because to me, like the second thing about this whole situation is that even if we accept the premise that Sam is Dean's responsibility, which he is not, in my opinion, the fact that Sam died the way that he did or that he died at all it wasn't Dean's fault, just like you said. Like, what was he supposed to do? Like, take him by the hand and never let him out of his sight and just, like, go to the urinal with him all the time? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, it's just not realistic. I'm, I'm bringing this up also because, like, we've talked in previous episodes about how Dean takes on way more responsibility than he should, you know? Like, I made a joke about, like, oh, the leaves are falling. It must be my fault. But, like, <laughs> the reality is that this, we're seeing this in motion right now. This was completely out of his control, and somehow he thinks it's his fault. He's going on and on and on about how he let John down, and now he's letting Sam down. And I just, I am forever amazed and astonished and, like, defeated by this man's capacity for guilt and shame. Like, it's just, it's astonishing, frankly. It's like it was instilled in him at a young age by a terrible parent. Okay, do you want to walk me through a little bit of, like, how you felt during the conversation between Dean and the Crossroads Demon? I was, like, from the get-go convinced this was not going to work. This was going to be literally their way of being, like, let's at least address the fact that this is happening. But, like, he has to give something up more than just himself. Like, I really didn't think the Demon was going to take, even at one year, was going to take it. I mean, you knew, like, you knew from the get-go, like, you watch a deal happen, like, I've been at flea markets, you watch a deal happen, you know who's in control, like, when it's really obvious. This demon had complete control over Dean. She could have said, like, five days, and Dean would have been like, fine. And I think it just, this goes back to what we saw before with, and I mean, I, I, I make the joke, in this episode we learn two truths about the Winchesters. They don't stay dead, but they will constantly let themselves die. Again, like that belongs on a t-shirt. Did you catch like the little bit about her saying that like his soul is tarnished? I definitely raised an eyebrow at and I was trying to figure out exactly what they meant by it. Basically, what has he done that demons would see tarnishing a soul? What activity is that? I am hoping it's like, oh, you you shot that guy with the colt and killed a demon, but you killed a human in the, in the meantime or something like that. Or like some of the people he has killed, even though they were still partially human or something. I think it also still reads on the whole by Dean reading in the sense that like 
he is tarnished because he is not normal, kind of playing to the whole othering and similarities to monsters that we've played on before. It's not great, but at the same time, like it plays into the fact that he is ashamed of that side of himself at that moment anyway. Like that's what we can assume. I see your reading and I think I saw it a tad bit differently because I felt like she was telling him things that he felt about himself. Like she was mirroring how he felt. You know how in faith, you know, it's his heart that's damaged and then it's fixed, you know? So like it was kind of an interesting callback to that. And now we're talking about his soul. You know, the fact that he agrees to one year instead of 10 kind of shows how little he values himself. Well, I think Bobby literally says that, doesn't he? That's kind of how I saw it. And I I think that those are all valid ways of looking at it. I don't think that his soul is tarnished. I mean, we'll see in in future episode if there's anything about that that we can kind of read from it. But I think that the only thing that makes his soul tarnished is the fact that he thinks it is. Ultimately, like, yes, the intention of the demon is to make him think otherwise. But I think from an outside looking in perspective, you're right. It's literally just his own. It's his own personal view of his self-worth. Did you clock that moment where like they're both, you know, they're both talking. It's their first. So like Sam is literally back from the dead. Dean is literally back from the crossroads and they're like talking and eating and chatting. And both of them are lying or at least like lying by omission. I kind of like I I think I was taking a note as it happened. And then I heard like the way it was said. And I was like, wait, what did I just miss? And I rerun like two seconds. And I'm like, Sam, why you know, tell Dean what you learned. So like, just to remind our listeners, like Sam is not telling Dean about the demon blood and Dean is not telling Sam about the demon deal. And I think it's because they're both really ashamed of that. Like Dean is ashamed that he made the demon deal and Sam is ashamed that he has demon blood in him. I I feel like what Dean did was very like, I feel like it's what Sam would have done for him and it's what John literally did for him. So it's very like in character, but it also makes sense to not want him to know, to not, you know, put that burden on him of like, I'm going to die in a year and it's so I could save you. Like, that's a terrible thing to tell someone, you know, like it'll come out eventually and it does and they'll deal with it. But I feel like the demon blood thing is more deep seated, more rooted. I feel like for someone who has spent so long trying to be his best self to find out that he's like literally physically tainted in some way. I think he's afraid of how Dean would react. That's the whole point of this moment, right? That they're both afraid of the judgment of the other brother. Okay, so I know that you have like been holding yourself back like with violence. <laughs> like do do you want to talk about the second like Dean and Bobby altercation? The parental energy exuded by Bobby in the line of come out to the truck and help me move some books through gritted teeth <laughs> with the death stare. The fact that Sam did not pick up on it is like comedic in my opinion. <laughs> Like, if we want to explain it in universe, I think the the whole reason is that he's not used to being parented. None of them, neither of them is. And so to him, this is just like Bobby needing help with his books. I mean, I don't know about you, but I personally found that like this second like moment was even more heartbreaking than the next than the than the one before. Sorry. Yeah, no, exactly. It feels like it, it to me. It feels like Bobby feels like he's failed Dean. Oh, oh, true. I didn't even think about that. I feel bad putting this in your brain, but like as a parent, could you imagine your child coming to you and admitting, I don't see value in my life? I would yell. I I think I would not be as nice as Bobby was, frankly. I, I mean, the fact that Bobby was able to hold back at all, I think only comes from the fact that he understands that he is not physically their parent. 
It's those like special parenthood moments where like you're not the parent, but you kind of are and you don't have the, you have the responsibility, but not the privileges kind of thing. So like we've been talking about this a little bit before, but I kind of want to put it in those words too, because this whole moment like really contrasts with what we were talking about with John. Because, you know, John had told Dean that Sam was his responsibility so often that Dean actually carried this belief into adulthood, even after John's death, right? Like, John is dead. John has been dead for a whole season now. He is still so present in Dean's mind. Like, he's, like, we have not seen John since season two, episode one. We're going to see him a little bit later, but he is so present. He may as well just have been there. I'm amazed. But... Bobby tells him that his life is has worth, it's worth something, and it has meaning even if he doesn't take care of Sam. And I think that this is something that Dean has never heard. I, I feel you're right. This is like the first time Dean is literally being told, like, you have value in just being you. Like, you don't need to take care of your brother for you to be valuable. It's kind of, you know, like, I'm going to put it in those words again, but like, it kind of feels like Dean felt like he was the way to earn his keep with John was to watch Sam. And I really resent that. That's so transactional. I do not like that at all. And, you know, Bobby on his end, like he's he's devastated, right? Like you've talked about this, like that moment where like he's screaming, like grabbing him by the collar, like touching his face. And he just it's like he just wants to feel him like, don't leave, don't go. I know I felt that, too. It felt so parental to me. And it actually did make me think of my own son, because like if I'm usually if I'm near him, like you can be sure that I'm either going to have my arm around him or I'm holding his hand if he lets me, of course, because he is getting older. And so it's not cool to hold his mom's hand anymore, which is fine. And this is on any given day. And I can't imagine, you know, if I was scared or, or, or emotional, like how closely I would hold him, you know? So it, it just, it felt very like real and raw. It is instilling in me the fact that Bobby is the best character on the show. Currently, we will see where things go. But as of right now, he is like number one with a bullet. Shall we switch gears a little bit? Do we want to talk about how Sam kills Jake? Jake is human. So sure, he has supernatural powers, but like, to the same degree that Sam does. So if you're going to consider Jake a supernatural creature, then you should also consider Sam a supernatural creature. So in my mind, Jake is human because Sam is human. And, you know, six bullets. So that's pretty brutal. And at the end of that, like, spree, Sam has, like, this blood on his face, and it sort of reminded me of Dean in Bloodlust. I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, I feel like we've seen a very similar moment before in the show. And that's you're right. That was it, it was the the killing the vampire in bloodlust. This episode is really coming back to episode one in many ways. Right. There's some callbacks to bloodlust. There's callbacks to in my time of dying. There's like all these callbacks to different things and like how the brothers started the season versus how they're ending it. So I just think that it's it's actually really interesting to look at that. Like, I can excuse firing the first several shots into his back to, like, bring him down because you want him down. And I can also understand the, like, once he's down on the ground, the one last shot, like, right to the head to, like, really make sure it's done. Like, I feel like their hunting days is enough to excuse that. But it's those extra two shots at the end that really go, like, this was personal. This was this was an act of violence. You know, I think that Sam saw some of himself in Jake 
and to see what Jake actually did to him, I think that Sam, in a way, is kind of like trying to kill that part of himself that is capable of that. All ironically while doing the one thing the demon wants, and even more so, the one thing he always said he never wanted to become. Like, we literally have a moment where he considers Andy to be evil because Andy was able to kill his brother who was in the middle of murdering people to, you know, save their lives. And here he is literally doing what he said he would never do. Okay, so there's also that moment where the yellow-eyed demon is giving, like, his spiel to Dean and, like, he reminds him that, like, what's dead should stay dead from children shouldn't play with dead things and Crossroads Blues... And, like, he also mentions that maybe what Dean brought back isn't all Sam. At first, took this very much as just, like, him playing mind games of, like, look how quickly he killed somebody. Like, that's not your brother. Woo, I'm being spooky and evil. But then when you really factor in, like, he does have demon blood. Did he bring back more of the demon with him this time? Is a little bit more of him now demon-y? Like, like on a biological level, like, what does this mean for Sam? So part of me actually kind of wonders, like, was Yellow Eyes being a little more truthful than he was letting on? We will see in future seasons. (laughs) The worries. I know. Well, they can't just, like, wash away all of your worries. They want you to watch season three. Is there anything else that you want to talk about in story time? No, I'm ready to hop on into critical time if you are. All right, let's go. So I'm going to take a wild guess and say that uh, Kripke was a bit more involved in this episode, right? You are absolutely correct. So the writer of this episode is Eric Kripke, who has written In My Time of Dying. So again, like he kind of like bookended those that season. So he wrote the first episode and the last episode. But he also wrote it along with Michael T. Moore, who has not written another episode for this series at all. But he was the script editor for the first three seasons. So he was involved in editing the script. I kind of like that, just having like an outside pair of eyes who's like seen it all, but hasn't been as involved as everybody else. Personally, I think that that's why we got so many references to the season. This felt like a fan letter in many ways where like, oh, we know that you've been watching. We know that you've been keeping track. Like, let's let's talk about, you know, what's dead should stay dead. Let's talk about, you know, his soul being tarnished. Let's talk. So it, it felt like. They were like, okay, we know that you know. We know that you're invested. Like, so I, I, I definitely enjoyed that. Like, that's my kind of, of writing for fans kind of thing. No, I like that. I, I do like when a show can kind of, like, nod its head at the fans without being, like, spill the beans. Like, this was a good, a very good level. And the director for this episode was Kim Manners, who directed In My Time of Dying, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, No Exit, Houses of the Holy, and Heart. And, of course, we saw the Ackles Freckles. yes yes we did i also just feel like dean like sitting there having breakfast with sam after he gets resurrected was very like just a was very glory shots of dean just being happy which is something again we've seen i honestly feel like at this point the cinematographers like kind of know these men's best angles right they're like okay a lot more women than we thought are watching this show They really like you guys. We're going to make you look good. I must also say, unlike last episode, this episode, I think, did the lore such justice. I just I feel like bringing up, you know, the idea of like signs of demon activity, uh, bringing up the idea of like demons not being able to like, you know, deal with iron, the idea of like gates to hell. Like it was a lot of very nice, interesting new lore and like old lore brought together. 
tying in Samuel uh, Colt himself again was a really nice touch of like, you know, it could have just been like there's a demon gate and like whatever. Some hunter did this. Like, no, no, it's very explicitly like it's Colt who did this and it's his gun that is the key. And like it let them bring it back without it feeling shoehorned in. And suddenly there's a reason why the demon wanted it. It just it felt it felt very natural and in universe and like I don't want to say poetic per se, but like it felt good seeing the show use its own lore in such a positive light. You know what, Drew? I absolutely agree with you. And I think that this is where it also starts to do that really nicely because at this point or, or from this point on, we are going to see, you know, we did open a demon gate, right? A gate, to, a damn door to hell, as Helen sa- as Ellen says, which I think is probably the best line in that episode. It's a damn door to hell. I also, I will admit, I think in that same vein, one of my favorite moments of the episode that just gave me a chuckle was when they're trying to close the door and it's Sam and Bobby and Sam sees Dean and runs over and Bobby's just like, ah! <laughs> like they're just like, ah, this door. <laughs> it's just such a moment of like, you really were helping me here, but I guess, yeah, go save your brother. I'll just you know close the door to hell to myself, apparently. <laughs> it just felt very like... It, it felt like, honestly, if we're going back to the Bobby as a father, it's like when the a father and son want to do something together, like, oh, we're going to build this like barbecue together. And then like three seconds in, the son's like, yeah, I'm done with this and goes to like, you know, play in the hammock and watches you as you do all the work. They did open the damn door to hell, meaning that at this point we are going to see a, we can we can assume that we're going to see a lot more demons from now on. The lore is going to be a lot more consistent from now on when it comes to demons. A lot of demon lore does come from Christianity and Christian tales, so it's a lot less culture to accidentally or intentionally appropriate and might lead to some more interesting lore talk in the future as we get the chance to. Let's see what the community has to share with us. This week, we have a tweet from Thomas Ray. Thomas Ray writes, feels like this is the perfect thing to bring up What I would ask if I sent a voicemail, I never send any because I have a terrible stutter when I start talking, but what I would ask is, what episode are myself and Mary looking forward to talking about the most? Thomas goes on to respond, I know for me the episode I can't wait to hear one day are Sacrifice, Swan Song, When the Levee Breaks, The Executioner Song, and Lebanon. So, I have heard a lot of these episode titles, I feel like Swan Song comes up quite a bit. Some of the other ones you bring up, I don't recognize. So I'm like, I I feel like this is the thing I'm most excited for are the episodes that people are excited for us to get to, because it just means there's going to be so much good information to discuss and so much analyzing to have. And I know for me, it's hard to say what episode I'm looking forward to, because obviously I haven't seen them all. But there are a few I'm, I'm very happy to share them with the listeners that I am aware of some of which I've seen, some of which I've only seen clips of, but I am very excited to see. And I have three, if I may. So one that I've mentioned before is, and I don't know the episode titles, Mary, if you want to jump in and give me the actual titles for the sake of our listeners, is the Groundhog Day episode. Oh, yes. Uh, That's uh, the mystery spot. Yes, that is one of those ones that I did see, and I think I've actually watched multiple times because it is just so funny. But it's so good. Like, I'm a huge fan of Groundhog Day. So that trope for me in any media just works when it's done well is just beautiful. I am very excited for and Mary's aware of this. I made it very clear to her when we get to the Scooby verse. Oh, I believe yes. it's a Scooby, Scooby natural, natural. I believe is the episode. Yep. There you go. And there's another episode that I did see uh, way back in the day uh, when it originally aired. And I can't remember much about it, except that the entire episode is in black and white. 
and it's all the famous old movie monsters. Monster movie. The fact that I know these titles off by heart is quite alarming, frankly. (laughs) But on top of those three, I know there's a lot of other episode titles I've heard thrown around quite a bit. So I'm very excited to get to those ones, not because I'm like anticipating them, but because I want to know why everyone's so excited for us to get there and discuss them. So, Mary, what are what are your I don't know if you want to give a top three like I did or if you have any specifics, but like where where are the ones on your radar you really can't wait to watch together? Each and every episode is really special in so many ways. But, you know, if I can go with like some of the ones that Thomas Ray has mentioned, because I think that they're also really good, like Swan Song will be devastating to watch. Actually, all of the ones that he picked out are pretty devastating, if I'm being honest. But they're but they're all really good episodes. Like Swan Song, When the Levy Breaks, Executioner, Executioner Song, like destroyed me. And Lebanon. Lebanon is very polarizing in the fandom. Like some people you either love it or hate it. I really liked it, not for the reasons that people think I did. But I actually like, no, but it, because I know like people are going to get mad if I say that I loved it. But I swear, like, I loved this episode, not for the reasons people think. And I cannot wait to dive into it with you because there's so much in there that's really good and juicy about it. Like, uh, anyway, but if I ha- have to think about a couple of them, so I would say baby, probably, because that one is amazing. And it's got to do with like perspective and narration. Who's the narrator? Is the narrator reliable? Like it asks a lot of questions I find about, about the show. Ugh, the Man Who Would Be King is like the episode that changed my perspective on the show. So I am very excited to get there. Okay, well, if we're going in the same like devastating and sad uh, <laughs> vein, I will say Red Meat. Red oh, Meat. what a title. Yep. What a title. Yep. Let's let's do that one. That one is is devastating as well. Okay, so between you and Thomas, we got devastating, emotional, and polarizing. And I chose Scooby-Doo, black and white monster movie, and a parody of Groundhog Day. Very different priorities, I think, but Oh uh, well, I mean, you know, I but but baby, baby is also like humorous in many ways. And also, I I will say, I think, like, your description of Lebanon, again, I have, like, zero knowledge. Like, even when you say Lebanon, I'm like, I don't assume you mean the country. So, like, I can't understand what this title could even be related to. For me, I love hearing an episode as polarizing and not knowing why. Because then going into it, I think I go in with a very open mind of, like, I'm going to get information. And then I have to kind of process, is this information that the community on a whole likes or dislikes or why is it polarizing and that like really it seems like it'd be cheating to know that in advance but i think it makes me analyze the episode very differently and i'm very excited to get to those ones we've named a lot of episodes what about you guys what are your episodes that you're excited for us to get to whatever you're excited for or not excited for let us know we did bugs we've hit the lowest (laughs) rung already so We've hit the runt of the litter, so we're good. And thank you so much to Thomas Ray for your your tweet. Honestly, we really appreciate uh, you reaching out to us, no matter the format, whether it's voicemail or tweets. So thank you so much. Exactly. We love hearing. And this was a great conversation starter. And again, to you and to everyone else who has listed all the episodes are excited for us to get to know that I am just as excited every time I hear a name because I now have this bank of like episode titles to be like kind of nervous but excited for. Shall we head to the crossroads? Sure. 
Okay, I think given what we've talked about this episode, you may not like mine, and I feel like might not be a popular opinion among many people. I would have liked Sam to not have learned what Dean did to save him. I think I would have liked this lingering anxiety of him not knowing or just like it, it kind of being Dean's secret to hold on to and kind of have us go into this next season with both brothers on this really good, healthy relationship, knowing that both are hiding something from the other, what Dean did to revive Sam or that he had to even revive him in the first place and the demon blood secrets and the everything he learned from Yellow Eyes. And I think it would have kind of built this amazing like Again, we'll see what season three brings. I don't know, but I think I it's a trope I kind of love is the idea of like these two characters. They're getting along, they're connecting, they're bonding. But the whole time they know there's this like bomb ready to go off at any moment. And I think by revealing it too soon, they took away the impact. Like, I think as much as we've had, there's a thousand excuses for the two of them to fight with each other and get into arguments and like hate each other and run off from each other. That's like it's. If they need to fabricate it, they'll make it happen. But I feel like this could have been held off to like mid season three as a reveal or even early season three as a big like kickstart the season. I feel like this season finale already had so much going for it. It didn't need this. I'm going to agree with you in the sense that I feel like this episode tried to cram in too much for for the time that it had. And I think that that's a sign of Kripke. I tend to see that in a lot of his episodes, so I think that'll be something to track. So I I agree with you. I think that this episode tried to do a lot, and I wish that it had focused more. And I think that that brings me to my crossroads, which may also not be super popular. I guess we've just decided to piss people off tonight. We chose violence, but I feel... (laughs) Mother, mother, I crave violence. I absolutely loved, you know... Bobby's interventions. I wish that we had seen a little bit more of that, or at least that we had seen like more of the the bonding between Bobby and Dean and Bobby and Sam. And I feel like in a way, Ellen being there kind of took away from that. So if I had to make a deal, it would be so that we don't see Ellen in this episode and that we see her maybe like next episode instead, like in the first episode of season three. Ellen's involvement in the story was very unnecessary i feel like even the information she brought forward from ash which was what i asked for last time was kind of unnecessary i feel like just the information that bobby had was enough to kind of figure out what they were doing i think that that brings me to like this whole idea it feels like she was there but i'm not sure what her narrative purpose was okay so she acts as the messenger for ash we didn't need in the end she acts as just proof that she survived this incident could have been over the phone call or just some way of like you know secondhand informing us or like you said show it next season and then third she's the one who gets you know control to put a gun to her head could have been bobby so i think i think that that would be my uh my crossroads deal okay so both of us agree the episode tried to pack too much into it and needed to let us sit in the story it told without having to like constantly keep us on our toes I I will kind of uh, Shanghai the ending here a little bit and say, ultimately, I'm very content with the end of this season. And I am ultimately very excited to be going into season three together. I mean, same, right? Like if we were watching this in real time, we would have a whole summer to like speculate about what's going to happen next. Oh, don't even make me think about that. Maybe that's something we can do in the recap episode. Ask you what you think season three is going to bring. I've got some thoughts. That's amazing. 
You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Figueroa and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to our bunker patron, Katira, for her generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Thomas Ray for his message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. Our October live event will be a live watch of Bad Day at Black Rock on October 28th. You can use the link on all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carryingwayward. Until next week. Carry on our wayward friends. It, it sort of feels like my tongue doesn't belong in my mouth. <laughs> nah. Actually, I burnt my tongue. Maybe that's why. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I ate soup. Good soup.